Hey everyone, welcome to That's a Good Question, a podcast of Peace Church and part of Resound Media. You can find more great content for the Christian life and church leaders at resoundmedia.cc. That's a Good Question is a place where we answer questions about the Christian faith in plain language. I'm John. I get to serve as a pastor as well as the weekly host of this show. And you can always ask questions at peacechurch.cc slash questions. I'm here today with producer Mitchell. Hey everyone. And Pastor Nate. Hello there. And today we're going to tackle some questions about the end of the world. Should be fun. Yeah. Producer Mitchell, you have some questions for us? Yeah. Here's our first one. What is the rapture? And maybe, yeah, just a brief definition would be helpful here for those of us who may not have heard that word before. Yeah. Well, I feel like probably people's biggest depiction of the rapture is from the left behind series that really popularized it. And, uh, I even remember a story about a childhood friend who his older brothers left their clothes out on the <laughs> couch and tried to trick him into believing the rapture had happened. He didn't fall for it, but it was a good attempt. Uh, but when I was a kid, yeah. I, I always, I actually, the left behind so popularized yeah. this idea that I remember as a, I don't know, maybe a, a middle school or something like that. I remember there would be times where I'd be like in my house and I, the whole family had left and I hadn't realized it. And I'd walk around and be like, well, shoot, did I miss it? Mm -hmm. Jesus came back. He mm -hmm. took everybody and I'm the only one who got left. Mm -hmm. This stinks. Maybe, yep. maybe I'm the minority here, but I've actually never seen the left behind series. It was kind of just before. Well, I had, I tell you what, I actually, I don't think I've read any of the books. I think I read like the, like I probably read like half of the first one or something like that. I don't think I've seen any of the movies, but I think just because of and maybe that's me and Pastor Nate's generation thing of just it was so popular mm -hmm. at that time that I you didn't have to read the books, you didn't have to watch the movies, you just knew the concepts and the ideas. Yeah. But yeah, and so I actually I read the books, but I went to Moody Bible Institute and they are very closely associated with some of the author or the Jerry B. Jenkins is one of the co authors of that book series and they hold to what is called uh dispensational pre-millennialism and they have a pre-trib view. We can maybe talk about what all those words mean, but that I, the rapture uh, as is generally thought of and defined by most people, the primary scripture references you'd be looking at would be from first Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, if you read verses 13 through 18, um, you'll hear about the sound of the trumpet and the, dead in Christ rise, uh, where the Lord himself's descending from heaven. And then it says, uh, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Um, and so that this picture, you'll see it depicted in like artwork as kind of the Christians and Jesus meeting in the middle of the sky is kind of the picture that a lot of people paint of it. Um, what exactly that looks like and what else is going on at that time uh, really gets into more of your view on the millennium and your view on the tribulation. And that's all the, the big topics of eschatology, just the study of end time. So John, right. you, I know I'll, I'll sell you out right now. I know oh. you're not a pre-millennial. You're, that's true. you hold the ah mill position. We can talk about that, but so what would an ah mill guy say? What is the rapture? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. So, just to just to process some of what you just shared. So from First Corinthians chapter or sorry, First Thessalonians chapter four, 
that passage about being caught up in the air, that's where that mm-hmm. word rapture comes from, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's the idea is that the rapture is when we get taken up to Jesus mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, the debate is about how exactly that happens, but that's what the rapture is. Um, so yeah, so to kind of zoom out and try to give a little bit of a big picture mm-hmm. perspective, there's this is one of those topics that there's so much that could be said, but uh big picture perspective, there's a lot of different views on how the end of all things is going to happen, as you might imagine. The book of Revelation um is is a book that is um complex, that is, I would say, full of lots of symbolism. Um we'll talk more about that, but there's a lot of different ways you could take some of the things said in Revelation. And so one of the things I want to say to start is just that I think Christians can have various perspectives on how the end of all things is going to happen and still be faithful mm-hmm. interpreters of the Bible. You know, the the joke has been made, well, I'm a pan-millennial, which means I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm sure it'll all pan out in the end. Mm-hmm. Ha-ha. That's kind of the joke. Uh, so <clears throat> I think the key things for Christians is we need to believe Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a judgment, Mm -hmm. you know, God's people, those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior are going to be Mm -hmm. um, with Jesus for all eternity, having eternal life. Those who don't trust in Jesus haven't had their their sins forgiven. And so they unfortunately spend eternity in hell apart from Christ Mm -hmm. and and suffering uh, justice and wrath. Um, Jesus is is ruling and reigning on the throne right now, and he will for all eternity. So those are some of the core things Mm -hmm. that we've got to believe. Um, But so when you look at Revelation chapter 20... That passage talks about a thousand-year reign of Christ, mm-hmm. and a lot of the debate about when the rapture happens, when the the tribulation, which just means like suffering period, happens, and when the millennial, the thousand-year reign of Jesus happens. That all gets gets pretty tricky. So there's there's usually thought of like there's a pre-mill, uh, which means that so pre-millennial means that uh, people get caught up into the air to Jesus um, before the thousand-year reign of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, post-mill means it happens after. And then Amil, which is uh, kind of the traditional Reformed view, and the view that I would hold, is uh, it's often characterized as we don't believe in a millennium, but that's not the case. We, we, it means that we believe that we're in the millennium right now. Mm-hmm. So to give you – do you want me to give you the, the short take of, of that? Yeah, I'd love that. So here's the, here's the short take, and, and then you guys can pick it apart. But So the kind of the – what I would say is, a, is, a, is kind of a majority Reformed view of the end times – is that uh, right now Jesus is reigning. He's really in a reigning. Um, he has been since uh, he defeated sin and death and hell mm-hmm. and Satan on the cross and, and then ascended. Um, so he's ruling and reigning right now. We're in that thousand year period. We think that that's more metaphorical, not a literal thousand years, but it's a long period of time that Jesus is on the throne and is, is ruling and reigning. Um, and that God's people, the church, are living in the world, then we're going to go through periods of tribulation or suffering between now and the end, and one day Jesus is going to return. And um, it's not that we don't believe in that there's going to be this period of time when uh, the saints are disappear mm-hmm. and leave their clothes behind, and then everybody else is living on the earth. We believe that there's going to be just a, a, an end, mm-hmm. a, a moment at which the judgment comes, and um, those who trust in Jesus go to be with him for, et- for eternity, and those who don't. Um, that's when they face justice. Yeah. And it's associated with your, our view at peace of, uh, having a view of covenantal theology. That's one of the things that on my journey, trying to figure out where I land, uh, with eschatology, I would say I'm, uh, I would generally fall into the ah mill camp. There's still a part of me that is hard to see the millennium as fully symbolic at my, my gut of wanting to interpret as much of the Bible literally as possible yeah. makes me sometimes 
open and attractive to the post mill view in small ways, just because they kind of hold to a, a, a literal thousand year reign, very different than a pre-millennial position. But uh, generally I'd fall in the ah mill, but and as long as you brought up the word literal, so we might as well talk about yes, that real yes. quick. I mean, so one of the things that, that people will accuse other positions, so the, the premillennial camp will accuse others yes. of not taking Revelation literally, right. which I would be quick to say, well, you know, how do you take a metaphor or yeah. symbolism literally? Yeah. So I think the best way to, if you say we want to interpret the Bible literally, yes, but what that means is you want to interpret the Bible the way the original mm-hmm. author intended you to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the way that it's intended by the author to be interpreted is not as, you know, literal pictures, but as, as symbolic pictures mm-hmm. of what the end is going to look like. Yeah. And that's a great distinction. And whether your, whatever your eschatology, eschatology is, or your view of that, I think it's worth saying that every conservative Bible believing Christian interprets different parts of the Bible uh, symbolically, because that's right. where they're meant to be. There's not. There's no question of is everything literal. There's genre. There's clearly. I mean, the easiest thing to look at is just the poetic books. There's right. some clear things where it's not saying that. Um, if you read Song of Songs or if you read Psalms, it's very clear that there's uh, metaphorical, figurative, symbolic language used. And to the best way to interpret that properly is to interpret it the way the genre would have you interpret it. So with this apocalyptic literature, that's kind of the language we use to talk about uh, Revelation, but also Jesus gets apocalyptic uh, in some of his teachings. And then if you look back at Daniel, if you want to learn about more tribulation stuff, that uh, references back to the book of Daniel, chapter 9, where there's prophecies about 70 weeks, and you get into some of the numerical stuff that can get interesting. Um, A lot of the pre-mill guys will get really into the charts and graphs and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. I do think uh, one of the reasons why I love being on-mill is uh, you don't have to figure out every single chart and graph uh, to interpret um, what's going to happen on which year and what times, and there's a lot less of that. What's I got it? to teach a class on this. Well, yeah. I was invited as part of a series of teaching on each of these positions, and I got to be the guy to represent my position, and that was my main argument. Was I said if you want the least complex position, yeah. it's this one. Oh you yeah, have to do the least amount of math and stuff like that. Absolutely, and that simplicity. Um, there, there's a beauty to that. Actually, when I used to be more uh, pre-millennial and would have believed in kind of the more left behind picture of how things were going to play out in the end, I still remember one of the things that kind of put a question in my mind and made me start looking more and more at covenant theology versus dispensationalism, um, not just in regard to revelation or end times, but in regard to how we interpret all of scripture was uh, learning that in the pre-mill pre-trib position that they believe during that thousand year reign that for Israel, the sacrificial system will Mm. come back. And something about that for me was not sitting right with thinking yeah. about Jesus as the final sacrifice. Um, and I realized uh, when I just kind of read the Bible plainly, um, I didn't see those distinctions mm. between Israel and the church. And so for for me to learn that the dispensational position and the pre-mill position believed that not only was there this distinction um, in the past and in the present, but that there were 
be this future distinction as well. I just, that's not what I was reading in the scriptures. And so uh, I, I should, I should clarify that we have tons of brothers and sisters who hold that position and we wouldn't, we wouldn't articulate that we think that they don't believe the gospel or that they're um, that they're playing fast and loose with the Bible. We we just we fundamentally don't agree on the interpretive lens they use to get to their end position. And so we 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 here at Peace would land more in the ah mill camp. And I know that there's I've talked to post mill people who are around Peace, and I'm sure um, given a lot of the growth that we've had and people coming from different backgrounds. I'm sure there'll be some people listening right now surprised that we're not just pre-mill by a default because sure. that might be the only thing that they've ever known. But it's really it's really interesting stuff to look into. Um, yeah. If you haven't done some research on it, even though it can seem like, oh, why don't we just take that? You made the joke about the pan-millennial thing. Yeah. Hey, Jesus is going to return. Why do we even need to think any more about this? But there's whole there's a whole genre of scripture that is worth looking into and is worth studying and figuring out where where you land on. Right. I joke about taking the simplest road right. and uh and and that's what it is for me. It, it's a joke and because we want to take scripture seriously, we want to hear whatever God has to say to us. We we need to, you know, wrestle with that, understand it. Um it's meant for our good. And so the book of Revelation is not, you know, like a wasted book. It's mm-hmm. it's God gave it to us to encourage us, to give us hope, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the hard times and as we think about the end coming. Um, so we do need to wrestle hard with Revelation and try to figure out what it means. Now, again, I, I think the best approach is that God intended it, that the Apostle John intended it to be sort of a symbolic picture mm-hmm. of the end that he's not um, intending for us to to really see some of these symbolic figures. Even, for example, you think of some of the multi-headed beasts and things yeah. like that that come in Daniel and in and Revelation and places like that. that yeah, I, I don't think those are literal pictures. I think mm-hmm. those are metaphorical pictures of things that are going to happen between now and the end. Yeah, and that's a, it's a good point because when I was learning and being trained in that position, they also believe that some of those creatures and some of those pictures are metaphorical. So they don't, they don't think that everything is literal. In fact, I remember sitting in classes and trying to track exactly. They were saying, we think the locusts are Apache helicopters and we think Gog and Magog might be Russia and China. So they definitely believe that a lot of the apocalyptic literature is symbolic. So it's not too far fetched to believe that, uh, a thousand year reference could also be a symbolic reference. And that's where we, you and I would ultimately land. But, yeah. But their symbolism would be only for people in our era of time. If this was a, a pack, Apache helicopters, the uh, initial people who are reading revelation wouldn't have been reading that going, Oh yeah. Apache helicopters. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, for sure. So, I mean, an so, important point is to say that we, you know, we, we take the Bible seriously. Don't hear us uh, yeah. minimizing that. I think that's the argument of some is that we're not taking it seriously. Like you, you made an interesting point that some people might be shocked to find out that there are these other positions. Hmm. And uh, that, that was my initial feeling. I think mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, I think in Bible college is when I started to encounter some other positions because up to that point, left behind was kind of all I had heard. Yeah. Um man, and I just thought that must be what everybody thinks. That must be what every Christian thinks. Yeah, I mean, so much so, John and I, we uh, we got to be interns for a short season together at Peace Church a long, long time ago. But I remember in our library, those were some of the most popular oh, checked yeah. out books yeah, yeah, in yeah. our Reformed library, and it did not 
they're yeah. not lying in any way. Now they are works of fiction, but a lot of people have formed their general eschatology kind of around those books or later the movies that came out following them. So even in our in our church history, that was one of our most popular things in our library. Right. So it does it shouldn't right. surprise us that for a lot of people, that's kind of their default position. They just picture a rapture of some sort, some sort of a tribulation period, and then followed by Jesus on a throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And what that all looks like, they probably don't know the details, but popular stuff that pops up is who is the Antichrist. And uh, yeah. and in whatever position you have, there's still categories and interpretations of what those things mean. They just look different based on how you view the millennium and then how you kind of work backwards from there. Yeah. All right. So for those of us younger, potentially <laughs> listeners, um, all right. Uh, We're the yeah, old guys eight, now. 18 year olds, I guess. Um, what, what was the left behind series? What was the theology that was taught there? In terms of rapture and yeah, well, well Pastor Nate lived with the guy who wrote it. So. <laughs> That's true. But we were like ten floors apart. He was in the penthouse, <laughs> and I never saw him. But uh, no, basically, what they do is they take what is a relatively new. That was the other thing that made me start to doubt some of my pre-millennial teachings. Is I found out that it um, they wouldn't say this, but it, it kind of came about in the 19th century, right. the not pre-millennialism altogether. There's position, historic pre-millennialism, but like the new modern dispensational form of it, uh, was at least popularized in the 19th century. They would say it was a return to the original biblical teachings that got lost for a long season. But then, uh, I, what what I found out about it was that, um, yeah, it was just more of a recent thing that was, uh, I, I the language I still remember them using all the time is it, when you, you hold the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other, which that in itself isn't necessarily a bad picture of how to, how to look at the world. But um, what they would really try to do is make as many connections as they could. And what I saw happening is kind of... It, that it shouldn't surprise us that it became a popular book series and a popular movie series because it's very dramatic. It's very interesting and engaging. I mean, it's, it's the stuff that would work great for uh, Hollywood or work great for a best-selling series of books, similar to how Harry Potter or hunger games would work. Um, now they would, they would probably take offense to that because um, they weren't saying that they were true works, but they kind of did use it as a tool to help try to educate people on eschatology. Uh, but all that to say um, the book series, what it did is it followed a group of people from an initial rapture, then all through a seven year tribulation, eventually an antichrist showing up and them trying to figure out who this antichrist was. And eventually the books wrapped um, with Christ's return and millennial reign, but it was just a dramatic picture of what could happen if the pre-trib, pre-millennial dispensational view actually played out. Um, and the reason why it's it's got some 
cool allure to it is, you know, uh, there's planes flying and a Christian pilot disappears into the air and someone else has to figure out how to fly the plane. And, you know, it's, yeah. so there's that, the, we're, and the teen, the stars were teenagers. Yeah. Right? Teenagers at, at the beginning. At the beginning. And yeah. then I think Nick Cage came in and yeah, really right. took over the series, but there ended um, up being like 20, 30 books, right? Well, I there mean, was, really there was a series. youth series and then there was an adult oh, series. Okay. I think the adult had like a dozen books in the youth series. Yeah. 30, 40, okay. something, but you, you can know when Nick Cage is coming into your franchise, it's probably starting to go downhill fast. Oh, I want to be careful. I know you're a harsh. big uh, national treasure guy. I John. love national treasure. <laughs> I think those are great movies, but you know, the, those aren't true either. That did, what? He, he didn't really steal the oh. declaration of independence, but um, that's a whole nother thing. I know Mitch, you probably don't know uh, what that movie is either. Right. Or have you heard of? No, national I saw that treasure. one. In the okay, yeah. good, good. So Sweet. Mitch, have you ever heard of, the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Way before your time. Uh, so speaking of some of these uh, questions about who is the Antichrist, what is the rapture, all that kind of stuff. Nate, how do you, if somebody comes up to you in the church mm-hmm. lobby on Sunday and says, do, who is Magog and Gog and who is the Antichrist? How do you answer those questions? We'll be right back after this break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, one of the co-hosts of Mom Guilt, a podcast with new episodes every Monday. Mom Guilt is a podcast about the daily struggles of motherhood. Stephanie and I share real experiences of Mom Guilt and how we have found freedom from that guilt through the gospel. Listen to us on resoundmedia.cc or wherever you find podcasts. Well, in all honesty, the first thing I usually do is point them to you, John. Uh, but if I'm actually going to do my job, uh, I'll I'll talk to them. I, I kind of have the neat thing of being able to get into the details with them a little bit more because I studied that and was tested yeah. on it. But I I what I try to point them to, I'd say the first thing is I'd say, um, you know, the important thing, and this isn't the only important thing, but the important thing is that we believe. Christ is going to return, um, uh, a bodily return, and which leads to a bodily resurrection. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Apostles' Creed, there are actually people who have heretical views of how end time stuff will work. There's a there's a whole subcategory of eschatology, preterism, and there's full mm-hmm. preterism and partial. And some of the guys on the 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 extreme end of full preterism might not believe in a bodily resurrection and you start to get into Gnosticism. Mm. And so th- there's stuff that's out of bounds for sure. Uh, but we got lots of fancy words to talk about this. Stuff, oh, I know. We? I know. Yeah. Do, do you want to get, do you want to get into preterism? John? No, you don't? I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> that, yeah. That's the, that's the belief that all of this was fully fulfilled in the first century, yeah. which some people think that's the Amil position. That's not. Um, we think the millennium or that, that period um, of time of Christ's rule and reign was ushered in when Jesus came in and said, the kingdom is here. And that's, you've probably heard someone say the, when you talk about the kingdom already and not yet, there's a emphasis on the on mill side, I would say on the already of Jesus ruling and reigning here and now um, versus uh, the pre mill side, they would say already and not yet in a different way. They're, heavy, heavy emphasis is on the not yet because Jesus isn't sitting on an actual physical throne in the geographical precise location of Jerusalem. And and so uh, we, we, but ultimately I do think, 
you know, we've talked about lots of distinctions, thrown out lots of words, but I do think uh, for Christians, there's more that unites us than that separates us because we all believe that Jesus is going to return. Uh, we all believe that Jesus wins. Peace Church had a bumper sticker that said Jesus wins at yeah. one point. Yeah. Um, and that's there's a cool simplicity to that, to know that we can all right. agree. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think ultimately the, the thing that I would emphasize with a person coming up and asking that question is I'd start by emphasizing the thing we can all agree on, that Jesus is going to return, Jesus wins, um, and that we're there's going to be a new heavens and new earth, and we're going to live uh, with him and get to worship him and enjoy him for all of eternity. Um, but then I would personally, I would start to point them towards um, figuring out some of the aspects of scripture that they can, um, that are very, very clear. I think all scripture is clear, but there is a reason why um, you can have Christians at a table who will all agree on the gospel, that all agree on what I would call the primary tenets of theology. Um, I don't think uh, that the return of Christ and um, the core doctrines of eschatology of end things are secondary, but I do think where you land on the millennium, the rapture, the tribulation, I would consider those ones that you can agree to disagree and partner hand in hand in ministry together. So if somebody was really sold on the pre-mill position. I think there's a total place for you at Peace Church. Um, uh, but I also would probably try to point them in what I think is a, a more faithful direction to scripture, which I would land more in the mill camp. What would you what would you say? Is there something you would add on to that? Yeah, so I so I do have the experience sometimes when somebody yeah. comes up to me on a Sunday morning or sometime and says, um, Pastor John, is China and Russia yeah. Gog and Magog? <laughs> yeah. And my my typical answer is to say, Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we're gonna find out. I have no idea. Um and that's kind of typical of of the way that I look at those passages of scripture. And I, that's what I try to encourage is I say, yeah. maybe, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't think it's really our job to speculate on that. Mm-hmm. I think the best thing you can do is, you know, read scripture and, and uh, pray about that. And maybe just realize, Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not the president of the United States. I'm not in Congress. I'm not, you know, having to make policy decisions in relationship to some of these things. So I get to take a little yeah. bit of an easier perspective. But even if I was in that situation, you know, we, I, I, we just don't know. Yeah. Jesus is coming back. There are going to be some hard times between mm-hmm. now and the end. We want to try to be faithful. We want to try to be godly. Mm-hmm. We want to share the gospel so that as many people as possible can trust Jesus and go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things to focus on. And and that's so good. And what you just made me think of is that Jesus was so clear uh, when he's returning. Part of his emphasis was on our readiness, how we yeah. live in light of knowing he's going to return and that we don't know the day or the time. We don't know the hour. And so to live in obedience, to live um, uh, following the gospel, to live in the love of Christ and the truth of Christ, knowing that um, that he's going to come back and we, yeah. better be, we better be ready. And we better be um, not because we need to earn our salvation or anything like that, but because um, God has given so much to us through the cross, through the empty grave. Uh, how can we not give everything back to him? Right. in obedience as we wait for his glorious second appearance. Yeah. Right. There's a Martin Luther quote about this that says, someone asked Martin Luther, 
Uh, what would you do if you knew next week Jesus was coming back and he said, I would plant a tree and pay my taxes? Kind of the idea of like living out the same faith that we're called to live out regardless of knowing when Jesus is coming back. Right. And my answer would be more like, uh, I'd tell as many people as I can about Jesus, but <laughs> but then what somebody should say to return to me is, well, Pastor John, that's what you should be doing anyways. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the point is that like, man, we don't need to know when the end is coming. Jesus said he's going to come like a thief in the night. We're not supposed to know. We can't know when the end is coming. We just need to live every day as if it's tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like the point, but if I knew for sure Jesus was coming back in a week, I probably wouldn't go to my tax appointment. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, right. So. So I'm just not, I'm not smarter no, than Martin It's a bummer Luther, answer but. for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nate, you had a, said something earlier about our position as all millennials, that we believe that this was ushered in when Jesus came mm-hmm. um, during his earthly, uh, his reign came during his time mm-hmm. on earth. Um, just as someone who is an all millennial, but maybe is trying to look at this through some other perspectives, um, it seems like a, a counter argument or an argument against that would be, well, doesn't millennium mean a thousand years? And hasn't it been a little bit late to that? Like, are we, have we missed it? Does that prove that we're wrong in some way? No, that, yeah, that's fair because we, we know it's been more than a thousand years, double that since Jesus showed up on the earth and, and started uh, bringing the gospel message and uh, proclaiming that the kingdom was here and the kingdom was coming. And yeah, I think that that's a great question. And again, it would go back to that, that a thousand years as a symbolic number. And throughout scripture, there are certain things that are treated as symbolism, especially with numbers. Um, there are, um, you'll, you'll oftentimes hear some higher critics will try to pinpoint some exact thing where they go, wait, really, you know, in the book of numbers, where a a number of a count of people, um, all of them end in whole numbers and they go, wait, is there no way that, that they would all end in these perfect numbers? And you go, well, this, there could have been a rounding up of count when you're trying to count, um, you know, thousands that you can round and they go, well, then the Bible's not true then. And you go, well, hold on a sec. That's if that wasn't the intention of how they were doing it, of what they were trying to report, then it's not an error. Um, in the same way, we, I, I mean, I, we could use examples all the time where if you say, um, you know, my wife will say, uh, she makes fun of me for, of this as she'll say, Hey, can you bring the trash out or whatever? And I'll say, yeah, I'll do it in a minute. It's not going to be, she, she says in the Midwest, we say in a minute for all things. Oh, yeah, I didn't, right. I didn't ever realize that she's from Seattle, but I don't mean in, I'm going to wait 60 seconds. Sometimes in a minute means in 10 seconds, sometimes more times than it should be. It means in 10 minutes and not, not in a minute. For me, it usually means like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just but, thinking of like the Super Bowl last night, they were talking about, um, the, the attendance there and yeah. it was, you know, hundred thousand so, or, or, or more. And like, even in reporting, we don't use that hyper literalism as yeah. saying, well, obviously that, that was, you know, all made up. Like, yeah, most of us probably watched the Super Bowl and saw that there were people there. Yeah. yeah. So we, we know how language works. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we would say, no, we don't mean a literal in the sense of 1000 years. And what does a year mean? How many times is the earth going around the sun? What we mean, as John said earlier, thousand years means a really long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not happening yeah. tomorrow, but right. All right. As we wind down, I want to just 
get these questions a little bit more solid. Um, we had some really great conversation about this, but let's give some snapshots of these mm -hmm. answers um, to these questions. So what is the rapture? All right. We said the rapture is when God's people ascend to meet with Jesus and be in heaven. Mm -hmm. Is that what we said? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it. All right. Second question. Do we believe that we are currently in the millennium reign? My answer is yes. My answer is I think so, but I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if there's some form of a 1,000-year millennium to come. That's fair. Awesome. Yeah. All right, last question. Do you believe future prophecies about the tribulation and Christ's second coming will be fulfilled literally like how the prophecies were fulfilled about the first advent? This would go back, for me, this is, I would say, literally meaning how the author intended, mm -hmm. yes, but literally in the sense that everything will happen in a very sort of strictly literal, I, my mm -hmm. answer is kind of a no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say I I don't think there's going to be a seven-year season of uh, intense tribulation. I do believe that there's going to be apostasy as there yeah. has been now, and I think there there's the way I read apocalyptic literature, I do think there'll be some sort of a larger apostasy to come. Some people I've read all millennial guys who say you need to look no further than the entrance of 19th century liberalism as, mm -hmm. you know, a, a forefront philosophy in modern Western culture that praises unbelief over belief. And you go, what's more apostasy than that? And so, but yeah, there's, there's tribulations in general, there's going to be apostasy. Uh, but do I think it's going to be a seven year period? I don't. Right. When I look at revelation, what you see is if you look at the sort of the, from a big picture that the sort of the outline of the book of revelation, what you see is a series of these, like, uh, you know, there's bowls and there's just these different images of pain and suffering kind of being mm -hmm. poured out. And the, the, that's what I would say we're experiencing is we're experiencing a series of suffering kind of comes and goes in the world and for the saints until Jesus returns. All right. And stay tuned for pastor John's incoming, uh, series of books and all millennial version of <laughs> the left behind. It's, going to be short and a lot less dramatic, but we're <laughs> just going to be his diary. There'll be people living their everyday just, life, yeah. telling people about Jesus. Paying taxes and planting trees, apparently. <laughs> At the end, it's going to say, and Jesus came back and it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Praise awesome. God. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Some complicated stuff, but hopefully it's been uh, beneficial to you as you think about this complicated stuff of the end of all things. Have an awesome week. You can find That's a Good Question at resoundmedia.cc or wherever you listen to podcasts.